the Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the St Albans podcast with Danny Smith. Welcome along to another edition of the St Albans Film Guide with uh, none other than everybody's favourite educator of the young, Max Hartington. Hello, Max. Hello, Danny. Good to be back. And thank you. That was a really nice way to start this podcast. Yeah, it's, it's not going to carry on. It's like all that. down here from here, folks. Well, kind of. But uh, yeah, so what we do with the old film guide is we get, we get the host. Uh, this time uh, we have the delights of, of Max. And uh, we uh, look at Max's favourite films or the films he thinks are worth watching on uh, free-to-air TV for the forthcoming week. Before that, we look at new releases. Oh, we also have a a section that is uh, Max's action films where these are action films that... Take it to the max. Why do you shout? I know, it's the whole point of the filter. But I was you just, don't need to shout, it's gone. I, I, I just had so much Yeah, but it all then overloaded and clicked a little bit. And I can't edit that out, so it's just going to sound a bit... Do you want another go? Yeah, go on. All right, so these are, these are action films. Uh, Max is action films, because these are action films that... Take it to the max. So you didn't need to shout then, and it no. worked better, didn't no, it? No, no, yeah. Harold, welcome, Lin- Harold Linsky, first time. Yeah, of, course time. of course he does, he speaks very quietly. No, he just, he just knows how to broadcast. He's just perfect time. You've been broadcasting far longer than he has, and yet... <laughs> I've got no excuse. Uh, so Max's action films. Uh, but before that, let's look at the new releases in the cinema. Uh, and uh, there are a few that we're going to talk about this week. I think there are three. And I'm looking forward to talking about two of them. Yes. So <laughs> I, I'm going to try and figure out which one is which. <laughs> so start off with uh, the first one. And, and these films all come out on Friday the 19th of May. Uh, tell us about the first one. Of course. So... Uh, as we just mentioned uh, Are You There God It's Me Margaret is the first release we're talking about this week uh, this film tells the story of 11 year old Margaret who moves to a new town and starts to contemplate everything about life friendship and adolescence she relies on her mother Barbara who offers loving support and her grandmother Sylvia who's coming to terms with finding happiness in the next phase of her life questions of identity one's place in the world and what brings meaning to life soon brings them closer together than ever before and this isn't uh, people might recognise uh, the saying are you there got it to be Margaret because it's actually an adaptation of a Judy Bloom novel which I think has been around quite quite a decent time at this point it's sort a, of a coming of age novel isn't coming it? of age or a building's romance if you or if you or are a what a building's romance if you are a, li- a literature study is that one word building's roman yeah all one word building's roman building's roman Buildings Roman. Yeah, all one word. But it's one buildings. It's building, but buildings is building is spelled B I L D U N G S Roman. The Roman you all know. Buildings Roman. Right. I'm, te- that, I'm teaching that, vocab on here as is well. Is that German? Is it? I think it's German. Yeah. Right, okay. I just know. But, but that means it's sort of like a, a coming, com- of age. coming of age story. Yeah. Right. But you didn't want to say coming of age. No, I just wanted people to know that that's an option they could it, use as well. No, 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 that your education wasn't wasted. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, it's gone somewhere. Even though for a lot of the time being educated, you were wasted. But nonetheless, that's not what uh, you, wanted, <laughs> you wanted to demonstrate to people that you learned something in all those years. That's the one, the one thing that seeped into my mind somewhere. So. Buildings Roman is the literary term for a genre that covers yeah. coming, coming of age. Coming of age stories. So sort of things like To Kill a Mockingbird. Which I believe that you could, you could put this in the same camp. This is a, a book that tells the story of a girl growing up, but it also, in terms of coming of age, uh, it seems that the film and the book itself are sort of also dealing with different stages of life. So, of course, you've got uh, the main character, Margaret, who's a teenager who's going through a lot of changes set in the 80s. Uh, her mother, who is, you know, trying to offer support, but also struggling because her daughter's growing up. And then you've got the grandmother who's sort of, you know, she hasn't got any mates around. She's trying to figure out what to do with herself as well. Uh, these characters, of course, you've got Abby Ryder Fortson playing Margaret, the 11-year-old, who I've had a check and she did the Ant-Man films. She was Paul Rudd's daughter in the Ant-Man films. Uh, but you might know Rachel McAdams and Kathy Bates are probably the big draws on this one. Rachel McAdams, you know, going all the way back to um, Mean Girls, start of her career, True Detective, lots of lots of films I can drop there. Okay. And Kathy Bates, who you might know was... Um, whacking people's legs with hammers <laughs> yes of course yes uh, Oscar winning turn in misery amongst other things Do you, I don't know if she's going to bring that energy to this one this one seems like it might be a bit more child friendly okay well we shall see uh, but that's the movie uh, Are You There God It's Me Margaret also out uh, on Friday the 19th of May we have Bo is Afraid tell us more of course this story tells talks about a paranoid man embarking on an epic odyssey to get home to his mother in this bold and ingeniously depraved new film uh, it's Another, it's one of those sort of very psychological 
psychologically interesting because it's by Ari Aster, who you might know, uh, directed Hereditary and Midsummer. Most okay, recently, yeah, yeah. So he is very big on these sort of mind-bending films and sort of messing with you. So Bo was afraid. It's about this middle-aged man who is loses his mother, and it seems like he's sort of he's running through his own memories, trying to process everything going on. There's lots of really interesting, like set pieces. Like he runs through a war at one point, and from what I've seen of the trailers and I haven't seen the film yet but it does seem like it's going to be very expensive and of course if you've got a film that deals with someone who seems to be undergoing some some sort of psychological break who do you cast? You cast Joaquin Phoenix as the main character got his name right didn't I? Just checking I'm proud of myself I've got his name right well done well done, Max. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, if you're if you're looking at your current uh, podcast playback settings, no, it is set on normal speed. Max just talks fast. That's <laughs> bringing so, it down. Apparently, some people like to listen to their podcast slightly faster because you get through them more quickly. They wouldn't be able to keep up, would they? If they set this to one point, naturally set. Do you check your podcast and yeah. you've actually not set it to two times speed? I clearly, I just had a lot to say, and I didn't think I had much time to say it. So, <laughs> but for and those now, of you, and now it sounds painful. <laughs> for those of you, for those of you, yeah, actually, it's straining myself here. For those of you who didn't want to catch up there, Bo was afraid. Talks about the story of a man who is trying to get back to go and see his mother through some stressing time running through his own memories and Joaquin Phoenix is playing Bo himself uh, within this film okay uh, I just noticed in the cast as well it's got Michael Gandolfini who is the son of James Gandolfini yes, yeah. from The Sopranos who was in The Many Saints of Newark playing, playing a young Tony playing Soprano playing young Tony Soprano yeah, yeah. Uh, okay it, I can't give it I saw some pictures of this film uh, like the release of this film in America and he looks so much like I was going to call him Tony Soprano, but obviously James Gandolfi. But he looks like he's got. He's, it's like someone took. James it's, it's like they're face, related, but isn't it, it? it's almost like he's directly related. Yeah, to yeah. Um, Joaquin Phoenix as well. In this picture of him, I mean, he looks. He's he's got very thinning hair. He, yeah. I didn't recognise him at first. So no, no. clearly they've done a good job of making him look um, like yeah. some sort of well, guy you, in the middle of a breakdown in his forties. Yeah. Well, if you look, so because they sort of play around with different stages of his life, um, he's wearing all the shots of this film show him like as a kid show him younger older he's the makeup and it's whacking team. Phoenix the whole time yeah wow yeah. well apart from maybe not the child might not be him I think he might be being played by a child in that okay. one there but the rest of them it's him right okay <laughs> but it could be you know a bit of a bit of a mind bending alright let's move on to uh, the, the final film that we're going to mention this week and uh, this is Fast X Fast X, the next instalment of the Fast and Furious series. Uh, over many missions and against impossible odds, Dom Toretto and his family have outsmarted and outdriven every foe in their path. Now they must confront the most lethal opponent they've ever faced, fueled by revenge. Oh, well, a well, terrifying on, threat. Let's already start unpacking this. <laughs> so even more terrifying than the previous nine that they've had in the in the previous movies and so, previous villi- villains have, who have included uh, Jason Statham who John then became no, no longer a, a villain The Rock was sort of a bad guy but sort of not before but he, he wasn't really the villain was he he was, no, just, he he was, was just the enemy of of, of of them but then they teamed oh, up but jobs? then they teamed up with The Rock as well didn't they so yeah. they had um, Luke Shaw or was it Luke, no, Luke Evans I'm thinking of right. Luke, I think his character was called Luke Shaw but Luke Evans was a bad guy in one of them um, Charlie Theron was a bad guy yeah. and I think she's still offered about as well yeah I mean, it's yeah. but this is this is without a doubt the biggest threat that um, Vin Diesel and friends have ever faced so because this time bigger than the previous nine put together. It's got to be. I don't know how I'm re- how I'm taking the Mickey out of this because I like the Bond films and every time he goes after a megalomaniac who wants to take over the world and I've never really questioned that before. <laughs> it was just sort of that. That's been pastiched a few times, hasn't it? Yeah. But still, you just like you just accept it. <laughs> Yeah, I think maybe it's just because I think what what with Fast and Furious, I think it's that there hasn't been this sort of the resets that Bonders have. The stakes the stakes have just been upped continuously, but also it's been done in like what ten years. It's been I mean, think about it; these have come out really fast. I don't know if they have that fast because I got a feeling it might be nearer twenty years. I think the yeah, first think, movie uh, might have been about twenty years ago. Yeah, but I'm sort of consider. I think if you consider what four, so, so it feels like you know we had our first one where they were a bit sort of grounded we had them stealing dvd players and um that's 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 the big yeah, sort of street draw. car race two, two was two was sort of you know things in miami and then three was tokyo drift and then four was when they went you know what actually let's actually commit to trying to create sort of a narrative and what one was the one when they were driving in space is that nine i want to say that it? was nine yeah you know I, i'll be honest um while while i i enjoy fast and furious films i'm not actually caught up on them at the moment I'm a, I'm a little behind so because they just keep making them and i just don't have a chance to go and watch them 
Yeah, there's there's a there's a trailer for this, and I saw a bit of the trailer where there's two juggernauts driving across the top of a dam, and they crash into each other. And as they explode, a car comes leaping through the flames yeah. and over the top of the dam. And as it's plunging down the side of the dam, a la um, Piers Brosnan and Goldeneye, mm-hmm. yeah, the car then somehow managed to gain traction on the side of the dam and then drives on down the dam. And the thing about that that really annoys me is that they didn't do any of that. Someone didn't. Every single part of that would have been computer generated. There wouldn't have been. Maybe there would have been a quick like shot that was shot in a studio of Vin Diesel changing gears or something like that. Some insert shot. Yeah. But but that stunt was not work. You know. Then this this is one of my real or made on a computer sort of thing, which which I think is probably a, a big part of your problem with the fast films well, isn't it well yeah because you you would look at say for example um the mission impossible films and some people compare them and and, and yeah. some people are fans of both of both of these things and yet with the mission impossible films tom cruise does a lot of this stuff for real yeah. he makes out he's the one doing the stunts i'm sure he is a bit uh i, I suspect I mean, he's not bro- as much as he makes he, out he broke his leg on that rooftop didn't he yeah. so <laughs> Yeah, it's easy. <laughs> Any of us could have done that, but uh, but you know he does that, and he clings to the side of big you know transporter things yeah. as they're flying off. And but but you know he does them at the moment. There's a clip doing the rounds of him doing a motor, the, the motorbike, motorbike jump, isn't it? Off and, the edge of a cliff of, again. Ala Piers Brosnan at the beginning of Goldeneye, yeah. but with that one in Goldeneye, that was all computer generated. Whereas Tom Cruise is doing it for real. Yeah. And it looks like, from all the clips that are doing the rounds online, he did it for real. He I, drove a motorbike I, I, off the edge of a cliff. I believe it. I think people And then people parachuted to, to safety. Yeah. Yeah, and it looks like it's him doing the whole thing. And, and I, don't, I, I don't think Vin Diesel went anywhere near an explosion. Or down. This he didn't do or it. Or that. And he has that face about him, doesn't he? He's like a baby that needs winding. <laughs> it's just, I don't know. You know, just, just. And then, you, you don't you don't buy him as a, a hardened criminal who's been doing over twenty years of heists at this point. And and it's just I don't know if it's, it's him as well. The, the whole thing about oh it's all about family all the time. It's nauseating. It, how much they bang on about family. It is a bit ridiculous to bang on about family, and then they lose certain people. But then the person they were fighting last week is now part of the family, and it's like yeah, it's even of, though he killed one of them earlier, but it's right because that one came back to life yeah, anyway. He, and, he was alive. No, yeah. no, it's you know no one's no one's ever really dead in um in the Fast and the Furious franchise. No. If, if if you can sell a seat you're coming back i just i just find it all a bit boring unless you're dwayne well yeah yeah Dwayne's, Dwayne's he's not out. coming back he's out isn't he <laughs> but uh but it's yeah there's something about it and 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 uh, i don't believe that vin diesel deserves to be as famous as he is <laughs> because if he's based on talent he, he'd, he'd be stacking shelves somewhere um but i'm, I'm just there's there's another there's another timeline where we got Riddick 10 instead of <laughs> instead of Fast 10 oh, no. I've only just seen uh, Jason Momoa who's playing the bad guy's name is uh, Dante in this one as well which is <laughs> well just that's how you know he's the biggest threat they've ever come up against he's playing the bad guy in this one yeah so. but you, not not Dante from um, the, the quick stop in, uh, <laughs> oh, no. in Clerks no okay but the thing is lots of people go this will be a fairly big movie and lots of people um will go along it, and it'll do well uh, i still it will it, it'll, it'll do fast and furious numbers won't it it's coming out close to, close to the summer it'll probably run in run in cinemas for a very long time at least until the next marvel one comes along yeah and, and you know what if um if you like this sort of thing, you will like it. You, you know, no matter what I say, yeah. you will like it. And I'm not trying to talk you out of it because if this is, if you know what what this is, and you're going into it with your eyes open, fair enough. And if you can derive enjoyment from it, brilliant. You ask that across from me, and you know what? I, I know I'm not I'm not going to rush to the cinema to go and see it. But at some point, I'll put this one in the background, and I will go. <laughs> I'll have a laugh at it. But that it's just that's just, you know not in the same way that I've watched you know the new the new Mission Impossible and be like I have to go and see this like I'm very invested sort of thing. But I, it's, it's I can put it on in the background and I can have a laugh about the ridiculous fact that you know somehow a a muscle car is towing like an entire Boeing seven four seven like off a mountain or something like that. And if that hasn't happened yet, Vin, come to me because that's my idea. <laughs> yeah, but it. But, but it was it the last one where they were driving in space at one point and and we're supposed to accept this you know and, and you just think this is this is the most ridiculous thing ever they even make a point themselves at one point saying do you notice we don't ever get shot with all these bullets flying around the, the two of the characters even had this discussion saying we never get shot 
and, the, and, and and didn't one of them like open his jacket and he saw a bullet hole through the jacket and he oh, went right. wow he said these bullets get close to us but we don't get shot we we, we it, it has jumped the shark which which is a phrase for for which is used it's derived from happy days yes old yeah. listeners may know but but the, the series jumped the shark years ago they started out as a as a an interesting gritty low budget movie about streetcar racers yeah and now they are what global superheroes global superheroes or I don't know because they're, they're not I don't think they're bad guys anymore now they're only doing the right thing because they work for the, the government because Kurt, no, Kurt Russell turns up every once in a while but they do it because of family because the family they do it means family so much and, to them yeah. you know the, the joy of a, a nice barbecue uh, with uh, with your, your best buddies like Tyrese Gibson yeah yeah isn't that nice the other thing to say if I'm trying to find something positive about it is it has such an all-star cast yeah (laughs) it's amazing the people that are in this as you mentioned there Jason Statham Jason Momoa it's got all the Jasons Jason Bateman's not in it where's he they'll bring him over yeah Jason Zedekis as well just throw Uh, throw him the Jason Jason part yeah let's just do that John Senna as you mentioned Helen Mirren is cheap and he's he's, he's agreed to reappear in this (laughs) Um, we've got Rita Marino who she was in West Side Story you know and and you know the original one um, she, she, you know, uh, an actor of note indeed. <laughs> Brie Larson's in it. She's won Oscars. Charlize she's... Theron's in it. She's won Oscars. Yeah. Alan Richson, the biggest dude on the planet from <laughs> from the Jack Reacher TV series. Uh, draw attention to how, how huge he is in this. Yeah. Cardi B, <laughs> which is basically what <laughs> I wear when Cardi A is in the wash. But Cardi B <laughs> is is in this. Um, and yeah, Michael Rooker, who will be a character actor known to some people, particularly recently from the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. Love a bit of Michael Rooker. It's got such a big cast, but it's... Except if you love it, it's not. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, but, you know, if you're going to watch it, you're going to watch it. That's Is, is that the comment we're going to end on Fast and Furious with? I think if, so. if you liked Fast 1 through 9, you're probably going to like this one. I mean, I can't believe we spent this long talking about it. When we, we've given... How, how long have you got the time on there? How long have we talked about Fast and Furious? Too long. Too long. <laughs> Hi, I'm Elspeth Jackman, inviting you to listen to my podcast One to One with Elspeth. Find a local person with a story and I'll be there to draw out all those little details you want to know about. If I'm fascinated, so will you be. Each week I'll be talking to an interesting character who has a tale to tell. And the beauty of it is you can listen whenever you want to. To find the podcast, go to your podcasting platform of choice and search for the St. Albans Podcast. Alternatively, go to stalbanspodcast.com slash Elspeth. That's One to One with Elspeth, part of the St. Albans podcast in association with the Hearts Advertiser. You never know, you could be my next guest. We've reached that point in the show where it is time now for Max's action films, where Max takes his action films to the max. Nice subdued one there for you. Yeah, don't try and put on the voice. That's what the whole effect <laughs> thing is. Just say it normally, and then it works. Instead. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so what we do with this particular bit of the the, the show is Max uh, chooses an action film that uh, he feels is worthy of inclusion. It used to be classic action films, less so these days. Um, but uh, that- I think we've got a modern classic today. So. Okay. Well, explain away. Of course. So uh, this week, my choice of film is Kingsman: The Secret Service, which released in 2014. Pretty far from 20. 20- Pretty far from twenty, of from the eighties, where these action films sort of started from. But I think it's the you know this this section has evolved into films that I think really have just pulse pounding action that sort of that you are so in, engrossed in in the same way that you would be in the eighties. And Kingsman, I think, is one of the best films to come out in the past you know what decade okay. that give, gives you that sort of action rush. And I think. We talked earlier in the show about you know the the idea that's been there's so been so many James Bond films and at a certain point you just get tired of the same things just happen over and over and I think Kingsman is one of the best sort of like homages that I think Kingsman is a love letter to classic Bond okay but uh, how but, it does but that it's is also based on other material isn't it is it's based on a comic book as well 
sort of a graphic novel. So I, d- I don't know how close it is in terms of uh, adapting to the graphic graphic novel, but I, it does that whole thing. You know, it's got the the well dressed spy in a suit, and it's got the the madman who's got a henchman, and the the whole sort of global like globe trotting story and everything. But it sort of um it does it differently because you of course instead of MI six or MI five or anything, you've got um the Kingsman, which is the secret service sort of run by a gentleman who own a uniform shop uh, somewhere in london but uh and that in itself has is an homage to spy things of the 60s the man from uncle a 60s yes. spy tv series where their headquarters was in a tailor shop and so they used to walk into the tailor shop go into one of the dressing rooms pull a um a coat hook on the wall which uh, which opened a door that slid back yeah. and then they were in their their sort of secret base which is very much like what happens in kingsman yes isn't it? yeah well they've got the you know, the secret armory is hidden behind the uh, the clothes shop um but for those of the, for anyone who doesn't know about kingsman uh it's basically a story of a spy organization that um they're recruiting a new members for their organization of very uh very you know classic james bond style like you know very prim and proper wearing their suits and lots of etiquette and manners only to decide to hire a, a chav instead <laughs> that's, that's how we're describing that is it that's, we'll just go so, from there or a, a, so a more everyday person a promising street kid according yes. to uh imdb but i you know you went for chav went for a chav instead but uh he's you know he's got some family connections from there okay. uh taron egerton of course plays uh Eggsy. the chav yeah the Eggsy the chav in this one but he i think he does a brilliant job in this one as now, well the one i think that you have you, you well you've not yet mentioned but the one i think who does a brilliant job is colin firth colin firth is is fantastic in this one he colin firth is just brilliant in this he plays the sort of the senior member of the kingsman who you know gets uh eggsy initiated but there is one on the note of this being max's action films his introduction where he walks into a pub and you know starts a fight with a bunch of people brilliant scene so good you, you know the one i'm talking about don't you oh yeah yeah, yeah. no uh, now when um so another series from the 60s that this would uh, be somewhat evocative of is the avengers which was not, way, the, not the one with Robert Downey Jr. No, way before that, you had a British um, spy thing, very cool 60s thing, and it was always a little bit weird as well. Uh, it was called The Avengers, and it was Patrick McNee, and there was um, a, a few different women that co-starred with him, most famously Diana Rick, who was mm. the Bond girl in Honor Majesty's Secret Service. Uh, but he also had Honor Blackman, who was the Bond girl from Goldfinger. Ah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, and, and, and they would fight crime they would you know it was all very swinging 60s espionage but yeah. also a little bit mystery and a little bit um almost science fictiony as well it was a bit sometimes it was a bit weird yeah to say the least some of it was filmed around here there's there's one scene where where the, the she i think it was diana riggs character wakes up one day and there's no one in the city and she's running up and down the streets and everything's empty. All the houses are empty. All the people have gone. There's no one around. And it was all filmed in St. Albans and it was all running up and down Fishpool Street. It's called The Morning After. And yeah, oh, indeed. wow. Yeah, the Your morning, Google skills uh, are good. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it is, it is Fishpool Street, which is a very aged, you know, very slice of... Like, it looks pretty much the exact same in this picture as it does now. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very much so. But but anyway, the the in the... Oh, in the 90s they did a big budget movie of the avengers with ray fines playing um john steed the the the, the original character uh, from from the 60s series and it was awful sean connery played the villain which was unusual for him and it, he was he was sean really playing a villain. poor as well uh, but um but the reason why i mention all of that is because colin firth played this how that should have been played yes the way that because the the main character in the avengers was incredibly well dressed three-piece suits bowler hat umbrella he looked you know so sharp and he was so so quintessentially an english gentleman ironically played by a scotsman but he played it in that sort of way uh, and 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 you know his sartorial elegance was was superb. Yeah. He had a he had a sword in his umbrella, and his bowler hat was made of steel, so he could knock people out with his bowler hat. Do an odd job and just throw it at people. Well, well he, would, he would just sort of hit him over the head with it, and it was it was <laughs> supposed to be rock hard, you know, and it would knock him out. But but when they made the movie with um, Ray Fiennes and Uma Thurman, it was awful. It, it but, is looking a bit cheesy right now. This, I'm just looking at the moment. This captured the essence of that, and I'm yeah. sure Matthew Vaughan, the director, had that in mind as well. I, so I think this is very much a love letter to a lot of these 60s espionage things that were around at the time. Yes, yeah. You know, you, Bond, obviously. Man from Uncle a little bit. But this bit. whole sort the of... The Avengers as well. Spy, you know, this whole sort of spy 
family yeah sort of things so i think it's all very encompassed in this one here yeah. and it does a, it does a really good job just tying in all of these sort of these classic elements of spy spider but also throwing in a bit, of, a bit of humor and some really good action the the whole way through as well and it's and and also this is uh, to mention again the the director matthew vaughan i mean he yes. started out as a producer uh, doing um, lock stock and two smoking barrels and snatch which i richie films that have made it on here as well yeah yeah yeah. Uh, but then went on to do layer cake which was a great movie that, that felt guy richie-esque yes as does this in places yeah you know, there are elements that like particularly you mentioned the pub when they sort of engage with the the chaffy side of life yes. that it all feels that, a little that bit was very london geezer yeah it? yeah yeah um uh, but then uh, matthew vaughan also did stardust which is a great epic fantasy mm-hmm. movie uh, you had kick-ass which of, of course, course is another one adapted by a comic so clearly same people i believe his- i believe yeah. the comic kick-ass was written by the same people who also wrote um ah. kingsman i think it's the same clearly you got familiar with the material yeah, yeah i believe so uh, and and then also he cut his teeth with superhero stuff proper with x-men first class brilliant film yeah probably in my opinion one of the best x-men film first class now um, he also often works with, and he cause so he often writes the, the writes and directs. Yeah, and, he, and and his main writing partner is Jane Goldman, who is perhaps better known to some people as Mrs. Jonathan Ross. Ah, so a lot of those yes, movies yes, we just yeah. mentioned, uh, Kick Ass in particular, um, Jonathan Ross's wife, all our connections, yeah. wrote, wrote um, the the screenplay along with Matthew Vaughan, and this one she wrote the screenplay along with Matthew Vaughan. Mm. Uh, so this is the first of. Three Kingsman first, movies. So far, there've been three, but so we've had Kingsman, the Kingsman, the Golden Circle, and then we've had, we've actually had the King's Man, which is actually a prequel. Which, funny enough, had Ray Fiennes in it after you mentioned him during the Avenger, which goes back to like the creation of the secret organization during the First World War, which is another one that I think um, had some really, again, had some really good set pieces in it. Like they. It, it feels like the sort of film where they write down, right, we want this to happen, this to happen, this to happen, and then they sort of fill in the blanks after. Okay, uh, so I've seen this film and I did quite like it I thought yeah it's okay I haven't yet seen the other ones how do the other ones measure up I still haven't seen The Golden Circle because I've heard uh, I've heard a few mixed bar um, a a certain cameo from Elton John I haven't heard the film is that good but but The King's Man I actually I ended up really enjoying uh, just because I watched it without even realising it was related until we were like a few minutes into it it's like oh yeah this is the one that but that does a really good job and again it's I think it might be the that's most. That's a period piece, isn't it? It's yes. set in the early part of the twentieth century. I think century. it might be the most. Uh, you know, it says. I think it might be the most stylized of the two, the Kingsman. But um, really, uh, really exciting watch. And Ray Fiennes does a really good job in that one as well. Okay. But again, what what these all carry very consistently is really well shot action. Right. Yeah. Okay. I just looked it up, and yes, the uh, the the people behind the comic book, um, it, it's the same people who did Kick Ass as did uh, Kingsman. Yes. Yeah. Um. So. Uh. Yeah. And 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 some other, um, comic book things as well along the way, but they were behind both of those ones was, that haven't been made into films yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh. So your film this time round for Max's action uh, films is Kingsman: The Secret Service from 2014, nine years ago. We'll have more from Max in a moment. The Film Guide with Max Hartington, part of the Sonobras podcast with Danny Smith. Here we go then with Max's choice of films to watch on free-to-air TV for the week ahead. We start off with Friday the 19th of May, film for 9pm, a film you mentioned earlier, Yes, Hereditary. Hereditary, uh, this is directed by Ari Aster. This is a... Um, it is a horror film. Lots of people wanted to call it like a sort of psychological film for a while. It deals with this sort it, of... It is a psychological thriller, but it, I can see why you'd say it's also I, a horror film. I, I, I'd go and argue it's a horror film. I think people saying otherwise are maybe trying to, you know, put at straws here. But um, no, this is a really great film. That sort of uh, the premise is that there's a family grieving the loss of um, their grandmother who it's described that she was struggling with some sort of um, sort of like personality personalities you know in her aging and the family sort of after the loss of this grandmother starts to sort of unravel as all of these sort of awful uh, circumstances start happen uh, start happening to them which sort of drives them all sort of insane until the film sort of you know leads to this massive climax of things going horribly horribly wrong but um okay. I, I think this is brilliant i think i could not look away the entire time i was watching this film because it's just shocking the whole way through Right, uh, Gabriel Byrne and Tony Collette uh, star in this. Yeah. Is this the one with the little girl who looks like Kevin Bridges, the comedian? Yes. 
<laughs> yes, this is this is her. This is uh, in fact that that film, and I'd never made that connection until you said that. And now I don't think I'll ever unsee it now, to be honest. I'll just go look up the movie on IMDb yeah. and look at the little girl. Yeah, she look like Kevin Bridges. It looks a little bit like Kevin Bridges. <laughs> yeah. So that's um, yeah. So so that that's uh, Hereditary. A very very good, uh, tense. Uh, yeah yeah drama horror mystery all yeah, of those definitely. things going on. I mean some amazing performances like uh, Tony Collette does a really great job in this I think of uh, Gibbon I think Alex Wolf, who's playing the the son in the family also does a really great job and I mean every single every single character in this just looks like well, they're and I thought apart. little mini Kevin Bridges, Kevin Bridges was, did, was, she, <laughs> she did a really good job as well yeah Millie Shapiro is the actor's name um, but, yes. but yes was uh, was quite haunting the way Re- that she really played I, I, again and it's it's very intricately written like it was something it's one of those films that stuts after I saw it, it stuck, stuck with me for a, you know at least a week. There's so many little details um, foreshadowing like future events and what's going to happen, and it's all just really intricately designed. Okay, so definitely worth a watch if you're looking for something to absolutely scare you and traumatize you. Right to scare, to scare your pants dirty is that what you're yes, trying that, to come up with the way of saying that's, that's a nice way of saying it yes okay that's hereditary film for 9pm on uh, Friday the 19th of May we move to Saturday the 20th of May uh, 5 star 11.05pm The Warriors is, yeah. is this a film you've Wonder seen before I have yeah I absolutely love The Warriors uh, this film sort of about, uh, tells the story of a street gang uh, in New York who have to fight their way home to their home turf on Coney Island after they've been falsely accused of assassinating a respected gang leader uh, this is just the setup for this film is amazing isn't it it's you've got all of these new york gangs and they all wear these uh these matching outfits you've they either wear, they're dressed as mimes or they're dressed as like uh, like baseball sluggers and stuff like that and they all have this peace treaty only for it to all fall apart immediately and the warriors of course uh who seem like the only gang who dress semi-normally in all of new york in this film well, you say that but they all wear like they're all topless except for wearing um leather well, waistcoats uh, you know it, compared i think compared it's to some of the other really out- normal is it compared to some of the other outfits in this film but um this is a really uh really great one that's just sort of I think it's what I really like about this one is the way it portrays New York like I think pretty much the whole film is New York at night isn't it yeah. and you just feel like on the edge of your seat the entire time you're as you follow this sort of real time journey of them you know going through and every once in a while a gang will pop up and scare them and start harassing them but it's just a uh, great what a great ride um, and there is something about the movie as well that uh so, so I read a thing that the guy who wrote the book on which it is based mm. wrote it as a rebuttal against the romanticised view of street New York street yes, gangs yeah. from West Side Story, oh, where that right. showed them all to be, yeah, 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 romanticised. my fingers and yeah, yeah, singing and yeah, stuff they like were, that. And, and they sort of sort of like, oh, bless them, look at yeah. them, you know. And really, they're not. They're horrible. Whereas people, they, people are getting yeah. crimes. Yeah, well, I mean, that's it. The warriors are the main characters, but they're not exactly they're not exactly nice people either. We see them harassing innocent people in parks sort of thing like they're still pretty bad but yeah maybe not deserving of what's going to happen to i guess it's what they call the anti-hero isn't it and and, yes and and they you know you're you're kind of rooting them on but they're not really very nice either no Uh, and and isn't it in some way um kind of is it not based on uh, some sort of greek play of some description or some ancient greek story that's quite curious. I'd love to actually. Read I, I'm it. sure there's a. The thing I mean, might, you, you could tie it to the Odyssey, the whole idea of this journey to return home after being at war. I know that there's a version that I've seen that has the director doing a voiceover at the beginning, and he talks about the le- uh, legendary Greek army's attempt to fight its way home. And this, this is, I'm just looking at it now, which I've just found an article about it. I haven't made that up, have I? It supposedly it takes inspiration from the Greek tale Anabis. Okay, An- Anabasis even by Xenophon, which is not one I've heard of, but I'm now really curious. Okay, well it says here about yes, it, it has parallels between that that thing of that Greek army trying to fight their way home. Yes, yeah, and that's what the warriors are trying to do. They're trying to move through all the other gangs' territories to get back to their yeah. territory. That there's a summit, isn't there, where all the gangs are drawn together for some reason, and then a gang leader is killed. They're framed for the murder, and, and then, then all the other gangs are out to get them, just struggling to get through. It, and then and all they've got to do is what over one night they're trying to get home. Yeah, it, it feels like it feels like an odyssey. Like watching this film, even I was like. It felt like I'd done my journey through New York the entire time. Yeah. So that's uh, that's The Warriors, uh, which uh, is from 1970-something. 79. Yeah. Also, it's got in it a song that Joe Walsh from the Eagles did as a solo oh, no. song, which then the Eagles recorded about a year later for their, their final album, um, In the City. And it's played at the end of the movie. In mm. fact, I think it's played to sort of a completely blank screen. 
I think mm. the screen's completely black, no no credits or anything, and they play this song Just in the city. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it's it's uh, yeah, it's a good song, um, and yeah, it works quite well for that movie. I say, you know, it's a good one. Just just nothing to but the music to appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> so that's uh, the offering for Saturday the twentieth of May, five star, eleven o five p.m. The Warriors. Let's move to Sunday the twenty first of May on the Paramount Network at nine p.m. We're you're grinning like a Cheshire cat. You like this one, do you? We're always back with a bit of Dirty Harry in yeah. the Deadpool. Uh, this is the, I think, believe this is the uh, the last of the Dirty Harry films, isn't it? Dirty Harry 5, uh, in which uh, Inspector Dirty Harry Callahan must offer six secret contests to murder various San Francisco celebrities with himself being one of the targets. So this is sort of, um, you know, we've had all these other previous Dirty, uh, Dirty Harry films, but this time uh, Clint comes back and he has to deal with this sort of, uh, all of the, palaver of Hollywood as a uh, Liam Neeson is this uh, this is he I'm trying to remember if he's a director or an actor it's really good my memory uh, Liam Neeson's the director Liam Neeson's the director of a movie and they have and it's a bit of a low budget hor- was it no, or, or, no was he a director of a music video it's a music video it's yeah. a music video it's a music video it? and they and have a why. sort of a, a sick pool running don't they yeah on the set of who's going to die next the dead pool they've called it yes and someone's killing and them. People actually start dying like yeah. that, don't they? Yeah. Uh, one of so. which is uh, it's a very early role for Jim Carrey. Yeah. Uh, so pre the mask and Dumb and Dumber and all of that, but, uh, there he was. I, I, he's doing a good job on this one as well. But it's um yeah it's it's more more Dirty Harry. Just what more can you ask for? I think it's it's very interesting to take it takes him out of his comfort zone very much. But it, of course, if your carry if your character sorry if your character is um is Clint Eastwood as Dirty Harry, he's still going to sort of stumble around. He's still going to sort of pull his like furrow his brow at everyone. But now he's got to deal with a load of Hollywood types instead, which is just yeah. really entertaining yes yeah, so like in the 70s he was getting very annoyed with bureaucracy and and and, and senior people and ca- you know council yeah. leaders and then and all, the, all these partners they're trying to like drop on him as yeah. well and that's still going on in this one because he, he's again breaking in another new partner yes. and you know that's never going to end well no <laughs> um but yeah a couple of i mean there's a couple of standout moments i do think on the whole Clint is probably a little too old to be playing a cop at this point. Yeah, uh, but he he sort of gets away with it because he's because he's I, dirty. Harry. I think this one feels it, it's it's got lots of if Dirty Harry is sort of seventies, it, it becomes very eighties where it's, there's some real over the top moments, including a moment with a harpoon gun that I always remember this film for. <laughs> also, do you remember the strikes car, me as, the car chase, the San Francisco car chase involving a remote control car? Yes, and they're yes. they're fleeing this remote control car that has a bomb on it, <laughs> and and you see that the, the the very kind of um, uh, it's a bit archetypal now, but in a lot of films that are set in San Francisco, and you see a car chase, you see the cars You're flying over, over the hill, over the hills, yes, um, and. and jumping these hills and but then when you see it with tiny little remote control car that's just whizzing <laughs> over as well and and yeah chasing them and then rather rather weirdly manages to eventually get underneath dirty harry's car blow it up and harry gets out with his hair just a bit ruffled and you sort of think does. yeah I'm, I'm calling that that's dirty harry it, it, if that was any more absurd vin diesel would have he's, used he's it. untouchable yeah. but you know what at least they did drive that rc car it probably would have just been uh probably would have just been cgi i suspect it, no it? actor was in the car that blew up even though one then got out of it unhurt uh, but anyway uh, put that to one side good performance from Liam Neeson up against Clint doing what he does best yeah early in his career isn't it the, the Liam early-ish in his career not yeah. quite as early as for Jim Carrey who yes, uh, yeah. you know one of his very early roles but yes uh, Liam Neeson there um, alongside Dirty Harry uh, Clint Eastwood in the Deadpool Paramount Network 9pm on Sunday the 21st of May let's move to Monday the 22nd of May ICV4 7.30pm License to Kill. What a film. Oh, brilliant. License to Kill. Uh, eventual James Bond goes rogue to infiltrate and take down the organisation of a drug lord who's murdered his friend's new wife and left him near death. This, of course, is uh, Dalton Bond. Um, and one that actually, before I'd seen it, I wasn't too sure about it, um, it ranks as probably my favourite Bond, to be honest. I think it's absolutely fantastic. It, I think it's it's got this real darkness and edge to it that while I think... Um, you know, Daniel Craig, Daniel Craig Bond had a lot of. I think it's, I think it just does such an amazing job, and it deals with a very like it's very real for for James Bond in a time where he's you know he's off to fight um, Blofeld off on like an oil tanker or something. Yeah, there's, in, there's in no this megalomaniac one, villain trying to take over this, the world. He's just going up against a drug dealer, well, a drug lord, drug lord. 
but, but yeah, a bit bigger than a drug dealer. I mean, I heard a criticism recently that, that somebody was saying rather negatively, this is when James Bond became Miami Vice because it's late 80s and this is kind of the ground that Miami Vice covered slightly. And there are some jet ski fights in this one as well, aren't there? Are they on the boats or something? I'm thinking of when, when they get up to the bar in the middle of the film oh uh, yes yes there's yeah. there's a speedboat and there's a thing and and part of it is set in florida which of course yeah. you know miami vice being set in florida as well but uh, but it really doesn't compare in any way to miami vice very different <laughs> stylized thing i've only just remembered i've just seen the clip of where james is driving the oil tanker and he flips it on the side to dodge a rocket coming towards him i know which is I absolutely forgotten about that preposterous scene. except a stuntman did that a stuntman worked out how to make oh. um, uh, you can drive an articulated lorry up on two wheels fan- off, you know it's fantastic these days Vin Diesel would have got a, a couple of computer software engineers to have written that and, and then they would have CGI'd the life out of that I think we, you've, you've made it sound like Vin is, Vin is the one who's cracking the whip in front of the yeah. studio he's, he's going around and he's making people do this do that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. he is but because there's a behind the scenes um, documentary that's on uh, the DVD of this movie and mm. in that they said about how many months it took the stuntmen yeah. to work out that the angle and the speed with which they had to hit the ramp to make it go up on two wheels and to be able to to be able to to do that in such a way and 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 again you know all right the, the implausibilities we're expected to think that one man has the skills to do all of these incredible feats yeah yeah that's a bit over the top but but you respect it feels thrilling that whole sequence that wonderful end sequence with all those oil tankers and the the narrow roads and how you know that they narrowly avoid a a, a truck that yes, again goes yeah. flying over the edge of a cliff and then and he's on fire and then nearly hits a plane and the plane has to move suddenly to get out of the way of it, it sounds a bit preposterous but it was all done for real and that's yeah. my thing it was done for and you know, real they, they did all of that despite the fact that uh, supposedly the um, <laughs> License to Kill was haunted by ghosts during production wasn't no, it it was that where they filmed it <laughs> yeah. that, that, that region in Mexico yeah. where they filmed that climactic scene supposedly there were um, ghosts haunted it was, the it, was, it was supposedly haunted and there is, a, there is an image of uh, Timothy Dalton with a massive explosion behind him and it looks like inflate have, can you see I've this I've got it in front of me right now there's describe there's the, what you can see so there's this big sort of um, it's clearly a big flaming explosion from this oil wrecker like all the smoke's billowing out but directly coming down towards Dalton on the hill is this what looks like a big hand made of flame like it's got the fingers and the thumb and everything it looks really real yeah coming towards him now you can't see that in the movie but that that was used in the behind the scenes documentary where they said how because also apparently lots of things went wrong yes. and and stunts stunts went wrong the 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 one of the big oil tanker trailers um it it lost its mooring and it started sliding down the side of a hill and it crashed into another one mm. and the one of the cameramen had the sense when they noticed this thing had without it being planned to started rolling down the hill yeah. filmed it so they worked it that into the, the film yeah they worked it into the movie but there was just one thing after another and they were told that this thing was haunted and they said, i remember the director in this thing said i don't know if it's haunted or not but he said we certainly had a lot of bad luck yeah. while we were filming there and then they said the scariest thing of all is the stills photographer took this photo yeah. and it looks like a flaming hand reaching for timothy dalton oh. and 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 this of course was pre today you'd think yeah cgi before like major video editing isn't yeah, it like yeah. It seems like, it seems like a lot of effort to go to just just to create yeah. this sort and, of narrative. And it's one frame of a of of a series of photos that was taken. Yeah. But of course, one of the other things back then was you, you really believed it because Dalton seemed to be in the middle of all yeah. of it. You see, you know, much like you do with Tom Cruise today, and you mm. you buy into the Mission Impossible stuff because you you if you can see Tom Cruise's face while he's slapped to the side of an airplane that's taken off, yeah. you know that you, Tom Cruise did that exactly because you, you're very committed to it. And I think you Dalton, trust his brand, yeah. you trust him. Yeah, but, and, yeah. and it's, it's why you know Dalton really to me, I think he's an absolutely fantastic because he's just so there in the action, yeah. like he's he's throwing himself yeah. around. And you actually believe that that you know he is uh, a British um, secret service agent. You believe mm. he is he really is a, a government civil servant who who does his job begrudgingly, but suddenly yeah. he got really annoyed I, because someone went and tried to he, kill his mate. It's really personal, and, he, and you know he's exploring this darkness. But I think he he absolutely nails that middle ground of you know you can see how Timothy Dalton can play the sort of you know suave sort of. Um, 
suave Roger Moore sort of type sort of thing but also, well I don't know if he did that as well as Moore but but, yeah. he, but that wasn't his but, thing but, and he steered he can, away from but he can, so he could play that sort of suave but in reality in this film he's playing this much darker version who's, who, he's on a personal mission in yeah. this film he's not been set out for anything I mean there's, there's a bit where uh, you know the government shows up and they're like stop doing what you're doing he's like no see you. and he jumps over a balcony and runs away yeah and then there's other bits where they then send other people after him yeah. and he's like fighting them off and he's <laughs> like I'm, I'm doing this and then we, we don't see Bond in that sort of hard-edged way until Daniel Craig no if it weren't for Dalton you know I, I don't it sort of paved the way but if anything maybe it was ahead of its time and it was it was at a time where maybe audiences wanted to see a bit more sort of kitschy the suaveness the the gadgets the the, the, the you know yeah. the, those things that are the hallmarks of the Bond films which License to Kill doesn't really have no there's no, there's no you know fancy car tricks in this one are there there's just it, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's low tech. It doesn't. Yeah, you know, Bond's not relying on loads and loads of gadgets. It's it's and it's he's not trying to it's real. Foil it's pretty, a, yeah. yeah, he's not trying to foil a global network intent mm. on the, overtaking the world. He's trying to get revenge for his mate who was who was maimed and left for dead. <laughs> and uh, yeah, wonderful, wonderful central performance. It's great, from, really good. From Timothy Dalton. You can tell that, that Max and I are both fans of. Yeah, of yeah. have a good guess what's going to be uh, in in the top running this week. I wonder, <laughs> but. Also, I think it's really good the way that um, latterly these films have become classics that people are now starting to appreciate quite how good License to Kill was because of the success of the Daniel Craig era, where Daniel Craig was that grittier, hard-edged Bond in many cases you believe daniel craig was could really hurt people in those yeah, movies he's you, a bruiser in that one and yeah. you you believe that that he if you you know if you if you pissed him off that would be it just like with with timothy dalton in license to kill yeah. he's going through that movie he, pretty hacked well, off well, isn't well the first what the first 20 minutes where he there's a, a, a bit involving him and a, a man dangling over a shark cage and there's a i will never forget there's a moment where the camera is like shot it's shot upwards towards him and he just looks so menacing and so done with everything well I remember when you and i watched that movie for the first time you, your your reaction with the way that that dalton uh, yeah. dispatched that bloke who was who was sort of begging for his life and and, and dalton was absolutely cold-blooded mm. in that moment and uh, you you kind of i think you just you just went wow yeah that just, that that was it for me yeah great 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 moment and and roger moore rarely had a moment like that one or two in his movies but but not often there was one where there was a guy the car had crashed and it was hanging off the edge of a cliff but Mm. this guy had recently just murdered bond's mate and roger moore has uh finds a little badge that the bloke had left as a calling card Mm. and he throws the badge into the car and the weight of that makes the car move a little bit near it and then just to make sure roger moore boots the car for good measure (laughs) and it sends it down the cliff to the bloke's demise that's that's pretty good and apparently roger moore fought like anything to not do that scene he he didn't feel that was his bond and and the the director insisted that they did it he said you, we want you to yeah, be harder you, you edged have in to this. do that yeah and 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 yet he he admitted himself that a lot of people said it was a good moment yeah well i think that's it isn't it if it's if it's not as common then it's even better when that does happen yeah, yeah. but but i think the audiences weren't ready for that kind of bond film because they uh, you went from roger moore you had a, a brief sojourn with with a harder edge timothy dalton yeah. but then you went right back to the more style with brosnan who also brought a harder edge, so it was evocative of of, of uh, Connery as yes, well. Yeah. So it had a bit of that, but but it was on safer ground. He was back to doing the gimmicks and the tricks and the, you know, smashing through a wall yeah, with a tank and then adjusting yeah, he, his tie, you know, and that sort of thing. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Bit. Yeah. I mean, the, the Brosnan gadgets are so, so extra, aren't they? Like they've got the the car, the phone that drives the car as he's lying in the back and everything. Yeah, which at the time was, oh, how preposterous is that? And now you don't even need the phone anymore tries it on his own yeah yeah it's, it's <laughs> incredible but anyway license to kill from 1989 uh, is Great. Uh, max's choice for monday the 22nd of may itv for 7 30 p.m the um only bond film to ever get a 15 certificate because of how hard-edged oh. and brutal it was whereas um all the others subsequently i think they were all 12 a's, 12A from and here, all the ones they? before that were pgs wow. but this one was was given a 15 certificate which it was felt at the time seriously hurt the movie because Bond films were family movies often you know you go and take the kids to see a Bond film you yeah. know slightly older kids but you'd, you'd go along this one was a 15 so kids couldn't get in I do think it's that thing of it. De- it like you said it is ahead of its time sort of thing yeah. I mean, and during the people weren't ready for Bond to be shown in that light yet no. and when it so when it was a 15 certificate and then you had in the cinema the same week 
Batman, the Michael Keaton Batman. You're going to take your kids to see Michael Keaton Batman. Which was the first movie to be a 12 certificate. But but License to Kill came out the week before and didn't qualify for being a 12. Mm. And they weren't going to withdraw it and resubmit it. They they stuck with it. Mm. But uh, but it was believed that it might have come out as a 12. Uh, but but Batman was the very first movie in, in British cinema to become a 12 certificate. And then also the same week you had Lethal Weapon 2 out in the cinema. So there were there was a lot of a lot of competition again and Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade was also out at the, the same the time the greatest week to go and go to the cinema oh yeah the summer of, of 1989 had all of those movies out at, at the same time over the over the span of about three or four weeks they were all out and, and some cinemas would have been showing all of them in fact where I grew up they only had three screen cinemas we had two of them and so they couldn't even show all of them in one cinema uh, it was just yeah it was a it was a it was a great time to be 14 perfect cinema to be in that. and having to lie about your age so you can get in to see the Bond film <laughs> anyway License to Kill ITV4 7.30pm Monday the 22nd of May let's move to Tuesday the 23rd of May uh, BBC2 11.30pm Vice uh, this uh, sort of uh Comedy biography tells the story of Dick Cheney, uh, the uh, who goes from an unassuming bureaucratic Washington insider to wielding immense power as vice president to George W. Bush. Uh, lots of people may have heard of Dick Cheney because he's rather infamous as pretty much being like an absolute hardline person running, running, you know, running the American the government. That went out duck shooting and accidentally yeah, shot his mate. Accidentally shot his mate uh, while, while out uh, duck hunting. Uh, the film sort of uh, makes reference to that in there, but this film is um, it, this is. A, really well made it's um uh directed by adam mckay who is really big and you know sort of the really big with his sort of in the last couple of years is sort of his dramas mixed with a bit of comedy he did the big short is one of the ones that he's like more recently known for and don't look up most recently is probably the one that lots of people will know him from and is he not also one of the producers of succession he is that's also that that might have influenced my my putting it in here a little bit but adam mckay is um behind the studio that helps make succession and i believe he directed one of the first episodes okay yeah because it's him in the credits. It's him and Will Ferrell whose yes. names are together. I, have you heard of the story about them, them not um, while they still own the production studio together? They don't work together anymore. Oh, okay. This is so. Um, but on the HBO show um, Rise of the Silver Ball, uh, Rise of the Lakers, even uh, which is all about the history of the, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers, um, the manager was due to be played by Will Ferrell, and Adam McKay made the call to instead cast John C. Riley as the manager instead, Doctor Bus, I think it was, and apparently the two have never. So, you know apparently the two have not forgiven each other for that so they won't be working together for the future oh okay yeah I, I believe I'm right in saying that the reason why um, uh, Will Ferrell is credited as an executive producer is because I think at one point he was considered for one of the main roles in Succession but really? I think they went in a different direction it was going to Succession was initially going to be funnier I it was going to be more of a comedy I can't imagine that and then in development they went in a different direction with yeah. it do you think it was Brian Cox I don't know. I guess it could have been. He yeah. could have been the, the, that character, couldn't he? But uh, but yes. Um, the, so they they co-wrote together uh, yes. Anchorman and Talladega Nights and the other guys. Loads of classics like yeah. Step Brothers as well. As and also the it? website Funny or Die was them as well. Really? Yeah. Didn't know that. Yeah. Oh wow. But uh, this one. Um, so Adam McKay writes this one, and it's very very biting sort of political satire. With of course Christian Bale plays Dick Cheney, and he's he's unrecognisable in this role as Christian Bale does. Like he's made up the entire time looking like sort of like a weird looking Chevy Chase sort of thing if you <laughs> if you watch it but he's otherwise just known as Chevy Chase yeah but um, he, him alongside Amy Adams Steve Carell Sam Rockwell playing George W. Bush which definitely the best part of the film is um, Sam Rockwell in this one Sam Rockwell is a great actor he's fantastic I think he's very very good mm. uh, but uh, okay so that's Vice which is the movie choice for Tuesday the 23rd of May 11.30pm on BBC2 let's move to Wednesday the 24th of May ITV4 9pm it's Die Hard 4 but it was known as uh, well it's, so got a few, it, it's got a few different names. So when it came out in the UK, it was Die Hard 4.0. That's what I've got here. Yeah. Uh, well, you haven't. Well, on, it says on, here. But that's what I've got on one on one page of my browser. Uh, on the other page, I've got Live Free or Die Hard, which I think is the far better name. But even though Die Hard 4.0 works as well, because of what's covered in this film. Uh, but I'll give you the, the, the intro first. So this is the fourth Die Hard film, who would have guessed, uh, which talks about, which has John McClane and a young hacker join forces to take down a master cyber terrorist in Washington, D.C. And this one, I really enjoy this one. I, this was actually, can I be completely honest? 
this was my first introduction to the Die Hard series. My very first Die Hard film. And it was really good. You really watched this the I, wrong way around. I, 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 I think I've almost watched Die Hard in the reverse order. I did go back and watch one after this. But it's just really enjoyable. And of course, uh, what's really helped is that while Bruce Willis is great as John McClane, the bad guy, this is Timothy Oliphant. He's really good, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, he's great. He's so evil in this one. And I think it's really fun dealing with this whole sort of thing. Um, again, I, I'm, I'm now saying this reflect, reflexively in that having John McClane come up against, you know, John McClane, the cop who broke through it, you know, uh, broke down a siege in a, in a tower with a, a lighter and a machine gun, then having to go back to Washington, D.C., where it's all computers and he doesn't understand what's going on. And it embraces this whole sort of this hacker world with John McClane just butting his head against it the entire time. But it's, uh, it's just a lot of fun to watch. And and it's um, what was quite interesting as well is that uh, he kind of um, he goes up against an original villain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, Timothy Oliphant isn't your typical villain. Yeah. And the premise as well is pretty scary. And apparently, it was based in part on an article that somebody wrote in America for a newspaper yeah. about cyber terrorism and what happened if you were able to take over the internet. Yeah. and what you might be able to do and that's kind of what was going on in this movie well, they're grabbing drones and flying them around like yeah and 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 the way that um that this has um uh, yeah the, the, and, and the way that didn't they completely erase john mcclain's kind of credit yeah, like his, history his, yeah his, his life yeah. yeah and 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 they managed to sort of like completely financially cri- and, and and sort of digitally cripple him yeah although they didn't really stop him because you know he still had his John McClane. yeah and he still had his gun and he could still fire a car at a helicopter or whatever stupid thing he <laughs> yeah. did at one point <laughs> that's a bit where he, he yeah. drives a plane up a toll booth <laughs> yeah not a plane he drives a car up a toll booth yeah great yeah <laughs> But it's it's um it's a good good movie and um this one I think was it, it it's underrated slightly because I think the first one is 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 easily the best one yeah uh, that I I, I rewatched I, I the would, second one recently which wasn't as bad as I remember I, I I don't think the second one is that bad I do think it's like a lot of people say it's just Die Hard one but in an airport isn't it but I think it's got some really good moments to it and I do like these the sort of the military men bad guys yeah. but I don't think it's a it's not a patch on three though no the, the third one with Samuel L. Jackson is great and yeah. and, and um, Jeremy Irons is really good in the third one and it captured something of that claustrophobic feeling of the first one yeah. the first one they're trapped in a he's trapped in a in a tower block and and in the third one he's trapped in New York yet it felt just as claustrophobic yeah. as the as the <laughs> high rise office building uh, which is really good this one it, it has a sense of of that being trapped again and, yeah. and even though it's across washington dc i think most of the action yeah, the idea you're still trapped even if it's just by what people know about you based on the internet yeah and how he can't use his skills he's really got to rely upon this young computer hacker yeah. who who he needs to kind of keep him alive and keep him safe to help fight off the the bad guys get to the right places yeah, yeah. Uh, and also way much better than the fifth one Oh, what, so much better. I'm not even oh. sure I've made it to the end of the fifth one. I thought it was so bad. I, I, I don't remember anything about the fifth one. I've, I mean, I know they were in Russia and there was something it was about... Y- there was, there was, was it? Mother Russia yeah, was a, yeah, a tagline. It. It, wasn't it the only one, the only Die Hard film that was originally written as a Die Hard film? Whereas every other Die Hard film has either been an adaptation or a changed screenplay. But Die Hard 5, whatever subtitle they gave that one, um, was the only one that was written... Is it a good day to Die Hard? Yeah, that sounds about right. <sighs> Yeah, but that was um, that was the only one that was written as a horror movie, and it's definitely the worst one. So yeah, but my, that's my, a that's a Saint Albans podcast take right there. We don't like Die Hard Five. <laughs> well, one of my my great uh, bits of of, of uh, knowledge on this is that uh, Die Hard. So John McClane started out in a in a book. Uh, called The Detective from 1966 mm. which was then made as a movie in the late 60s called The Detective starring Frank Sinatra as the John McClane character what? but they changed for some reason they changed his name so he, he wasn't called John McClane but the book on which it is based his character was called John McClane mm. there was then a, a follow-up uh, book that that came out um, sort of 13 years later called Nothing Lasts Forever which was adapted into Die Hard and in Nothing oh. Lasts Forever, Detective John McClane goes to LA and gets trapped in a high-rise tower on Christmas Eve where he's gone to visit his daughter. And the rest is history. And, <laughs> and it's his daughter and her granddaughter 
Oh. Whereas in Die Hard, because Bruce wife. Willis was younger yeah. than Frank Sinatra, who was originally offered the role in the movie that became Die Hard, yeah. but but turned it down and was very old anyway at that point in his life. And, and uh, yeah, so they suddenly realised, look, Bruce Willis isn't this grandfather type figure. He's a lot younger. Yeah. So we'll make it his wife that he's going to go and visit, not his estranged daughter. <laughs> Uh, but beyond that, the book's actually very similar. And terrorists take over the building and and it's, yeah, it's a similar similar story. But it's called Nothing Lasts Forever by Roderick Thorpe. And then it became Die Hard. Mm, sounds pretty good. Yeah. Uh, so uh, something to look out for. But anyway, uh, Live Free or Die Hard uh, is, is the final choice uh, from Max. That's Wednesday the 24th of May, ITV4, 9pm. Max, same question. Uh, which of those movies would be your movie of the week? If you had to choose one, which one would it be? Anytime it comes up. Licence to Kill is the film of the week. If it wasn't obvious by the, the, the distortion amount of time we spent talking about it, go and watch Licence to Kill. <laughs> yes, if you've never seen it before. <laughs> and if you have it. seen it, go and watch it again. Go and watch it again. Yeah, why not? But, but do you know what, Max? I think all of those movies are worth watching. So yeah. well done. Good choice. See, not a single uh, disapproving sigh this week. No, not this week. No. No. Well, no, no. I mean, that was in the first part, but that wasn't about a choice you well, made. That was about... We're well, past that now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a movie that had been released, so we, we were sort of obliged to mention it. <laughs> anyway, thanks a lot for that, Max. Uh, Max will be back again doing this real soon. Uh, in the meantime, next week on The Film Guide, it is the uh, the return, the triumphant return of, of Sam. Uh, she is covering the uh, the film guide next week and uh, the movies that Max has suggested that are on free to air TV you can check them out uh, the list of them is in our uh, episode notes right now on this here podcast of ours you can also find the list on our website at stalbansspodcast.com uh, but Max thanks very much my pleasure and uh, dear listener we will catch you again real soon <laughs>